You're listening to Recovery Survey, the podcast that shatters stigmas around different types of addictions and takes a deep dive into spiritual principles. I find a lot of wisdom that comes from your show. You interview different people and I know you just do an overall good job and you're a blessing to recovery in general. So I want to make that very clear for the record that I love the movement that you have, what you're doing, you're saving lives and you're educating and informing people. I think that's important. I want to thank my friends at Recovery Survey for giving me the opportunity to talk to them about my recovery journey. Thank you for having me on uh, the new podcast that you just developed, which is unbelievable, Recovery Survey Podcast. I really appreciate what you're doing and, and been doing and continue doing. My guest today is named Eric Esposito. He is a recovering alcoholic. He is a triathlete, an author, a blogger, and a survivor of a traumatic brain injury. Welcome to the show, Eric. I am Eric Esposito. I am a architect, or at least a former architect, and a triathlete. And I was hit by a car or SUV in 2017. That kind of changed. Uh, my life, you know, I went from a a casual drinker to uh, kind of step on the gas pedal, kind of accelerated it at a very fast pace. The accident ended my career as an architect, but it started to kind of spiral from there until you hit rock bottom. From there, you only have to look up, and I guess that's kind of it in a nutshell. But then again. I mean, everybody has a similar story along those premise lines, right? I'd love to hear a little bit more of a backstory. Did your addiction start because of painkillers and things that you were prescribed because of the accident, or what does that look like? No. So I, I, for when it comes to painkillers and stuff, I have a pretty high tolerance, and it never really affected me. And I know I kind of have like an addictive personality because, you know, I traded smoking for triathlons and when it comes to addiction you don't really give one you trade one in you know i don't know if everybody else has that thing you know you trade crack for sweets or whatever right you, you never give one up you just exchange um and i you know i exchange smoking and dipping for triathlons and i kind of never got on pills or anything else mine was straight up alcohol addiction and I did that because I thought I had a loving fiance but in the end I felt very alone and alcohol was always a friend when I didn't have one were you a triathlete before the accident or was this something that you started doing after you recovered from from that accident I was a triathlete before the accident for about three years how long did it take for you to recover and, and what did all that look like? I'm assuming there was a lot of physical therapy and surgeries and all kinds of stuff that, that went into that whole process. My physical injuries recovered not fast, but I mean, I only broke a finger. However, I got a traumatic brain injury out of it, which is 
part of why the alcoholism kind of had the gas pedal stepped on because it doesn't mix well with a traumatic brain injury. The, the TBI has permanent effects. Like I have issues with my vision and my memory and my processing speed. So those will always be there. Yeah, I can imagine that that, that coupled with alcohol is not a great combination for a successful and productive life. You're coping with the fact that, you know, you're no longer competent at your job and you're coping with that. You don't know if your relationship's going to last. And it's just, it becomes something you're leaning on when you don't really have anything else to lean on. And eventually, you know, when I changed jobs to the last job I had, before everything kind of collapsed, I was I, traveling everywhere as an architectural consultant. And, you know, I can't sleep because of the TBI very well. So I'm drinking at the free, you know, I think it's the Homewood Suites always had the free uh, open bar or whatever it was, a happy hour from five to seven every day. And it's like, well, I was there every day. I was taking extra drinks back to the hotel room because I know I wasn't going to sleep at night. And because I was on Ambien too. And so it was just kind of like, it all kind of started to spiral at once. And when it started to go downhill, it started to rocket downhill. I'd love to hear a little bit more about what your bottom looked like and what made you decide to stop drinking. We'll call like it's, we'll call the bottom about, eight or nine days long. Uh, and that's when my fiance left. She said, you know, I think we need to no longer be together. I'm like, okay. It, it happened in like a four week span. Once I took this job, once I hit that, I'm like, you know, she left to go to her brother's for Christmas in Nashville. We're in Atlanta. So I had a few days to myself, and I just thought, I am going to get ridiculously drunk for about a week, and we'll see what it takes me from there. And then, you know, I kind of blew up on New Year's because we're still cohabitating, because, like, I didn't have anywhere to go. I also didn't have anything with me. When I moved in with her a few years before, I sold almost everything, including Lacondo. I had nowhere else to go. Uh, so I was going to be there for a while, except for, you know, on New Year's, I had all tensions of getting drunk, kind of forgetting about everything, except for she came home early and I blew up. And then I woke, you know, when I woke up the next day, I got in the shower and I just sat in the shower for about an hour until the hot water ran out. And I felt like shit. I, I, I can't. I can't keep this up and can't remember what day it was. It was in the next couple of days. I went to my first meeting and I just kind of went from there. So you, you went into the meeting with a pretty open mind. Sounds like you were at a point where you were, were ready to stop. Did you find it difficult in the beginning to stop or were you to a point in your life where you were already sick and tired of drinking and you were, you were ready to quit. So I've been going to counseling 
since my uh, accident because of the PTSD and the depression and all the other things. You know, and depression and alcoholism don't mix very well. So that was part of the other problem. But uh, And we kind of touched on that my dependency wasn't a physical dependency. I never got the DTs. I never shook uncontrollably when I didn't have a drink. Mine was an emotional dependency. Prior to the accident, I drank. But, you know, when I got drunk, I was a happy, fun drunk. You know, I was a blast at weddings. But when I drank before that, it was like, oh, I'd have a beer or two, like at the end of the day. Sometimes I wouldn't even do it. And I was, you know, perfectly content. But when things started to go bad, then I became dependent on the alcohol. I was at a pretty low point. So for about that first month or two was the hardest point for me. But after that, it became very easy, even with being alone in COVID, which is, you know, I'm no longer living. I moved out February 1st. So after we broke up, I was together for, we were in the house for five weeks, but um, I moved out February 1st and then I was on my own. And then I was really on my own a month and a half later once COVID hit and, you know, they closed my pool. So I didn't have swimming for triathlon. And I was kind of isolated from all my friends. And also during the breakup, I kind of lost a lot of friends because they kind of default went into her side. I was pretty alone in the world, but I didn't feel like drinking anymore, though. I don't like feel that urge today. It, mine was a very strong emotional dependency on it. You've kind of touched on religion and spirituality a little bit. Do you want to unpack that for us? When I went to Catholic school, my experience with everybody else that I went with, it kind of drove a wedge in between us. And a lot of that is because Catholicism is, I felt like it's rooted in shame. So it kind of establishes a weird relationship with God. So when it came to, you know, doing meetings and how it's really recovery based on spirituality, I didn't feel that attachment. Alcoholics blame everybody else for their problems. They don't accept responsibility. And when it came to saying that your, you know, recovery is in the hands of God, or however they phrase it, where they say, you know, you can't do this without God helping you do it. I felt like that was a closely related cousin of not accepting responsibility for your actions. I felt like it was just another version of that. And now this was me accepting responsibility for my actions, saying, I'm making this change. I don't need anybody else to do this. This is for me, and I'm doing this by myself. What I did like about the meetings was how they were people who were like me. Everybody went down in a ball of flames. Stories are all different, but you ended up in the same place. We're all sitting there in the same room. I had people who could at least relate to part of my story. You know, nobody has the same, I got hit by a car, I have a TBI, and I developed a huge drinking problem, and now I'm here. Well, you have elements in that story, and at least you can relate to me. And it's so good to, to know, like, this guy, you know, the guy sitting next to me, he's like, yeah. 
I, I lost my wife too. Like, okay. You know, that felt good. And, you know, going through the 12 steps, I, I just couldn't get past that step three with the whole spirituality part because I wanted to accept responsibility for my actions and say, this one's on me. I'm going to do this for me. And I'm not going to put this on God or anybody else. One of the things you brought up that I think is really important is that the aspect of, of the group and, and being able to relate with other people that have been through similar struggles. And I think that's why there's so many different programs, whether it be 12 step or smart recovery or recovery Dharma or, you know, fill in the blank. I think that group aspect and having that common bond and being, having gone through those similar experiences really helps us because I know, for me personally, I always felt like I was alone, that I was different, uh, that I didn't belong. Like I had all those kind of feelings. And then I walked into the rooms and it was like, oh, okay, you've done similar things to, to the things I've done. You've had similar feelings and the desperation and the loneliness and, and just all the things that come with an addiction. And so I think that community part is, is a really big piece of recovery. Well, the thing with addiction is it's filling a void in your life. There's a hole in your life with somewhere, and it's filling that hole. Mine was because I, I felt alone, and I didn't really have anybody to relate to. And my fiancé became more distant from me. So the more I felt alone, the more I, I kind of withdrew and drank. And, you know, I, I don't know how it works with other addictions, but I knew that, like, I would hide my alcohol, my empties all over the place. And I knew she would find it. So I would forget where I put it. At some point, I just stopped caring about hiding it. Everybody has a need, a want to feel belonging. And at some point in time, your drugs or your booze, they feel that need. At least when you're in some kind of program or with some kind of support group. There's people there who, you know, when I, when I talk about them with my brain injury group, I call uh, this one old woman in my brain injury support group, um, kind of like my Sherpa, where she doesn't bring, she's a caregiver rather than a survivor. And she's walked me through all the steps of, kind of like a sponsor, I would say, but she's walked me all the steps through, you know, of, of getting through the brain injury process. And, you know, you basically have people who are just like that in addiction recovery groups. You know, whether you want to completely buy in to their 12 steps or whatever it is, that's up to you. But, you know, there are people there who they're 20 years in, five years in, but they've been through where you're at. They can tell you where you're headed. Nine months ago, I walked into my first meeting and I was like, I have nothing except for two cats, a couch, and my uh, two couches and my clothes. That's all that was mine in a car. That's what I would be leaving with. And I've managed to kind of start pulling the pieces back together. And, uh, and I've ended up going in a direction that I never thought would have happened either. I, I hate saying this because 
I feel pretentious saying it, but with the like TBI and everything, doing with the, the YouTube thing in the book and telling my story, people were telling me I'm an inspiration. It makes me feel weird every time I say it, but if you would have asked anybody before January if they would have called me that, nobody would have said I would ever have been called an inspiration. It's weird how my life is shaped up once I kind of started correcting all the problems I've had since the accident. Not only with the addiction, but I was trapped in a cycle, a career that was a failure after my accident. I couldn't do it, but I needed to have a job. But I was pigeonholed. I couldn't even get a job at PetSmart because they just saw me as an architect or they saw me as overeducated. You know, I'm a triathlete. I couldn't even get a job at the local bike shop as a sales associate. They wouldn't hire me. So I was like, it was either be an architect or be nothing. So I was trapped in a cycle where I knew I was going to get fired because I was no longer confident. And it was going round and round. And you add alcohol and it's like fueling that fire. And I'm ADHD, so you're adding Adderall into that fire. I can't come off of that because I'm actually, I can't function without it. Never have, but I don't consider that an addiction per se. It's like literally a basic need for me. I don't go overboard with it. Like I said, pills have never been my my problem. Getting trapped in that loop, and once you finally break that cycle, it's like, oh, I can start fixing the shit that's wrong with my life. What does your life look like now? Because you were talking about being stuck in this cycle and not being able to find a job other than architecture. Have you got back into triathlons? Like, what what does that look like now? COVID kind of changed a lot of that landscape for me. I signed up for 17 triathlons this year, which is an insane amount of triathlons. But it was kind of keep my mind out of, keep myself out of my head. And obviously, I've had to find other ways of doing that. I've spent a lot of time writing. I still can't go back to my career just because of my slow processing speed from the injuries. It doesn't make me able to work in a deadline-driven profession like architecture was. So I have to go on SSDI. But I still found purpose in spreading the awareness of traumatic brain injuries and living from that. Like I said, I went in a different direction that I didn't anticipate going. Once I went to my first meeting, I, I had written a lot. And I went to the guy, I asked him, my sponsor, I said, look, I don't really have a lot going for my life right now. I need someone to know where I'm at, everywhere I've been. I said, here's, here's my book. And he's like, this is really good. I shared in the brain injury support group. They're like, this is phenomenal. And so I kind of just started going in that direction because people started pushing me to tell my story. So... I ended up somewhere where I never would have thought I would have been. Well, you sound like you've maintained a really positive attitude. How how have you done that, man? Because it seems like it'd be really easy to slip into that, like a depression and self-pity and those kind of things. But it seems like you're keeping your head up and you're moving forward. What do you do to maintain that positivity? There are some days that suck more than others. There are some days where I think about what my life was like before the accident or how much I, I missed my fiance or stuff like that. And you feel down when I was very, very depressed. 
after the accident, I went through ketamine therapy, which is a interesting ball of wax in itself. It did a wonder to really bring me out of the depression, but it didn't. It doesn't cure addiction, you know. You're still feeling uh, void in your life with alcohol. There are days that it's just not a happy day, but you know I've learned that tomorrow will be the better day. Maybe the next day, but they're not all bad. You know, something will come. Eventually, COVID will lift. I will race again. Well, a year ago, my life was completely different. It's been an interesting journey. It's never static, you know. And that's why it's just so funny to look back a year from now what my life was like and what it is now. And I, it's just completely different. Absolutely, man. There's no way for us to know what the future holds. And I know for me, I try not to think about those kind of things too much because I end up setting myself up for resentments and it just ends up being a bad place for me because I end up getting in my head and fantasizing about all these unrealistic expectations. And then when those expectations aren't met, then I end up being bitter and angry about them. Here's the thing. I like to fantasize about the future. I like to think my fiance was never really a huge fan of that because she thought about right then. But I'm like, I want to think about what life could be like. I set goals for myself. You know, and the thing is with this, what I'm doing now, I actually have my ambition back in my life. Whereas, you know, when I was trapped in a loop, it kind of died. You know, I think about all these races I want to do. All these, you know, extreme triathlons I want to go to in four places up in Norway or Brazil or Chile or the Himalayas, stuff like that. I think about the future. But at the same time, I've come to learn that I don't expect anything from anyone else because I've had to rely on myself for a while now that I just kind of default think you're going to flake out on me. So. I, I've not put too much stock in other people other than like, you know, my mom, you know, she's always been there. But then again, my mom is, you know, she's four states away from me. She can only be there so much. So other than my mom, I've really just had to depend on myself since my brain injury. I, when I think about the future, I just think about it as being on my own for now. Do you have any final thoughts? You might end up somewhere where you didn't anticipate going. You know, you're, once you decide to give up your addiction, you know, once you hit bottom, you can go in any direction you want to. I mean, there's nowhere else to go because you're at the bottom. You can go left, you can go right, you can go straight. Pick a direction. You can go whatever direction you want. So it's up to you. Would you like to give us your social media and website? Oh, if you like triathlon riding, you know, my website's esposwimbikerun.com. And all my social media, my YouTube, it's all esposwimbikerun. A lot of it's triathlons, but eventually I'll have a book coming out about, you know, my, uh, what the first years of my life were like after the brain injury. And, you know, a lot of it's tied to addiction, 
And it's a very complex story. So we'll see how it turns out. Only a few people have read it. I appreciate you sharing part of your story with us, man. I, I have to agree with other people. I think you're very inspirational. And, man, I'm just blown away by your positive attitude and your outlook on life and how you continue to push and grind and, and just keep moving forward, man. I think it, it's very inspirational. Right now, I'm just trying to use my life to make other people better. That's awesome, man. Well, thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. Eric, thank you so much for being on the show. I think you're a really inspirational guy, and I'm very impressed with how you've maintained a positive attitude throughout all of your struggles. If you'd like to find out more about Eric or follow along in his journey, all the links for his social media and website will be in the show notes. Thanks again, Eric. You've been listening to Recovery Survey. If you got anything out of today's episode, I'd ask you to please leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can find us at recoverysurvey.com. You can listen to all of our episodes on the website as well as connect with us on social media where you can get previews for upcoming episodes. Hey guys, I wanted to let you know about an exciting new partnership with Broken Chains Apparel. They're a custom online shirt retailer that designs cool shirts for people in recovery. They want you to be proud of your recovery and wear it boldly. They're offering our listeners a 20% discount. All you have to do is use the promo code recovery at checkout. Go grab your shirts today at brokenchainsapparel.com and follow them on Facebook and Instagram at brokenchainsapparel.